Hello, welcome to Off Curve. I'm Wicked Good, and I am talking to you about Hearthstone as I am driving home from work. It is Thursday, May 9th, 2019. Um, I, I've, I've had a week. <laughs> uh, this this matter is tough. I mean, I guess they all are. Um, you know, I, I talked last week how I didn't get to Legend, and I was kind of okay with that, and I mean, I'm not giving up on it by the ninth of the month, but it's, it is, it is, it's really difficult to play around all of the different, um, all the different decks that we're, that we're dealing with. And, and I mean, it's not that many different decks per per se, but it's like a lot of different weird variations that you have to take into account. And, and I've been strong, I've been on the struggle bus to, to be completely honest. Like I, I actually almost, I almost made this a, an episode that dove very deep into my feelings again. And, and I, I think I'm glad I, I'm not doing that. And we've, we, I've done those episodes before. You can probably go find them in the archives, but I, you know, I'm, I kind of had to take a step back and, and think about like what, what, why I've been, to be frank, letting my rank dictate part of my self-worth and that's not really a healthy place to be. Um, and, and again, especially because as you know, from, from what I talked about last week, I've been doing a lot of not, I've been doing a lot of Hearthstone content, but not necessarily playing as much Hearthstone mainly because I've been working a lot on the data, the backend data for the, uh, the specialist meta report that I'm working with, uh, team no pros here at, at Kupastka on, uh, the first one for the soul qualifier should be coming out on Monday, but there's been a lot of work I've had to do on the back end because I've basically been writing all this code from scratch uh, to the point where I'm actually taking it on the train with me, which is not a great, it's not a great setup because I'm doing a lot of API calls and the, the internet on the train is, is crappy at best, which is why I'm not playing Hearthstone on the train. Um, so I, you know, I kind of had to take stock of that too, right? Like, because I didn't get to Legend last month, and I was really struggling really hard and, and stuck on the floor. And to be frank, st- you know, ranting and salt and, and being salty a little bit in the Discord, which I apologize for. But, you know, I, I kind of had to, to reevaluate, like, why I was letting that get to me so much. And, and again, and, and we've talked about this on the show before, how being in the content creation space kind of, whether it's actually an accurate could an accurate, you know, expectation or not is kind of irrelevant, but it kind of puts it on me. It puts an expectation on myself to be a legend player and be, you know, an authority when I'm, when I'm talking on this podcast. And, and I, I know that that's not necessarily what all you are here for. Um, and that I can do that and be that without necessarily having the time to put into grinding out all the games just to get to legend. Cause I mean, the, the problem is that, you know, if I play a control deck, and, and you know I'm I'm a control player, like, when I have the choice to do that, right? But it's like, every once in a while, you just run into these 45-minute matchups against, an, against a warrior with Elysiana, and it's just, it's, it's really not fun. And, you know, if I'm not having fun, what am I doing, right? So, so I kind of stopped that, and I, I took a step back. I've been following a lot of the lists. I mean, the, following the, the specialist meta reports kind of including me into some lists that are probably not a good idea to take on the ladder, but I probably could if I wanted to. 
um, I ended up finding this this list, and I forget the player who um, who put it together, but I will I will link it in the show notes. Which is uh, so the the Conjurer Mage has kind of been speeding up a little bit, and it's been going away from the whole dragon package that it started with like the first couple weeks of the season to uh, more of a, a mana cyclone tempo style. So you run Ray of Frost, which gives you two spells. You run Magic Trick, which gives you two spells. You have Sorcerer's Apprentice. You, uh, you know, you, you play a whole bunch of spells out. You uh, do the Elemental Invocation, I think, Elemental Evocation, whatever it is, that discounts an Elemental by two. That makes your Mana Cyclone free, which fills your hand right back up, and then, you're, then you start doing it over again, or you have a full hand for your, for your Mountain Giant, or whatever. And those have had kind of medium success, but they're very they're very draw dependent and they're kind of streaky. And this version felt a lot better to me. One of the thi- it, it does a few things. First of all, it puts um, it puts sea giants in along with the mountain giants. You're running mirror image, so you you have a spell that can generate two zero twos. So you can use that along with the sea giant to basically get a one mana discount on the sea giant. And the Sea Giant's also a pretty good target for Conjurer's Calling. You can get some things like Mechathune, which has saved me a few times by being a target for Zilliax and healing me for 13. Um, you can get a Caligos, which is not really fantastic that turn, but is the next turn. You can get Ma- you can get Maligos, which does a lot of damage with some of those uh, some of those cheap spells. And, you know, there are just 8-8s and, and stuff like that that you can get, too. There, I don't think there are any taunts. Even, like, Big Bad Archmage is not bad, because, I mean, you get two minions then. So the 10-mana slot is not as good as 12, because it's not as predictable, and it doesn't give you taunts, but it's still pretty good. And so being able to get a Sea Giant out and get that out very early, especially against an aggro deck, has been pretty key. Um, it also runs, in addition to the Rays of Frost, it runs Frost Nova, which has straight up won me games. Because sometimes you end up against this this flood board and you could just stall it out for a turn or two to get your your mountain giant conjures calling online and when you do that sometimes you you know freezing is enough to just kind of hold off that aggression until you can deal with it like usually you only need like a turn or two a lot of the time but what i really really like and this is kind of leading me into what the, the subject for this episode is going to be uh which is go i, I want to talk about how you beat like kind of the top three decks and this is not going to be a definitive guide. This is just going to, going to be some things that I learned from trying and failing and trying and succeeding. Um, but the so what this does, and, and what kind of drew my eye to it originally, is that a lot of these lists that were running the Mana Cyclone will run um, Archmage Antonitis at the end because, you know, it makes sense. You're running a bunch of zero and one-cost spells, and you have Sorcerer's Apprentices, so you fill your, your hand up with Fireballs, and then you have a lot of extra damage. The problem is... That doesn't really work great in practice because you just don't have time to throw the fireballs. And the fireballs, like, one of those fireballs gets canceled out by one hero power from Dr. Boom when it, when it rolls armor. So this ditches that plan and goes with Luna's Pocket Galaxy. And, and I know. I know. And I know if you've listened to me on this show, you've listened to me on the Happy Hearthstone, you know how I feel about that card. Right? It is, in most cases, it is win more. Here it is not. And, and the reason that it's not is because what it does is against Warrior and, and to a lesser extent Control Shaman, like any slow deck where you have time, 
Like, they will give you all the time in the world. They are not killing you right away. They don't want to kill you. They want to exhaust your resources. So you have time to play Luna's Pocket Galaxy. And what that does is that gives you a steady stream of threats for your Conjurer's Callings. It makes your, your Alexstrasza and all of your Giants cost one, regardless of what your hand state and your board state is. And that consistency just makes it a lot easier to, pr- to present a whole bunch of scary boards that eventually you just get one to stick that they can't deal with. And I've had a lot of success against Warrior and the rare Control Shaman that I run up against by just doing that. I mean, your, your draw kind of has to cooperate, but you can you can do that in pressure and end up run, just running them out of clears because it feels like those decks have infinite clears, but they really don't. So I've been kind of bouncing around rank four. I've gotten close to rank three. I might've touched rank three once with it. Or maybe that was with the Secret Hunter I was playing on stream over the weekend. But I've been doing reasonably well with a, with a fairly positive win rate. And the deck's just fun. You know, like, that's the problem that I had is I was trying to play Tempo Rogue. I was trying to play Warrior. I wasn't enjoying myself. And so it felt like work. And this doesn't feel like work. This feels fun. I'm, I'm really, really enjoying it. And I have a Golden Luna's Pocket Galaxy that I never dusted. Um, so it, it feel, it's just fun to use that card, too, and be able to actually get some value out of it. So, so that's what I've been playing this week. I'm, you know, again, bouncing around rank four, but I feel like I'm doing pretty well with it. And I think it's something that I want to stick with for a little bit. You know, it's, it's a difficult deck to play because you are doing things like having to play a bunch of spells in succession to make a lot of snap decisions on the fly, knowing what your potential outcomes are. But that, you know, once you get that down and you figure out some of those little interactions, like the fact that elemental invocation will actually discount your mountain giant by one because it discounts it by two but then you you lose the card so it ends up being net net one reduction which is sometimes enough just to get like giant calling out on five um i'll link it in the show notes i'm really enjoying it it's it's not gonna be for everybody please don't craft luna's pocket galaxy for this um just because i don't know if that how long it's going to stay in the list and it, and it kind of depends on how much warrior ends up being a thing if there are any balance changes but if you have it and you want to play this list, I can't recommend it enough. It's a lot of fun. Even the games that you don't win are fun and they feel close. And that's kind of all I'm looking for is to feel like I have a puncher's chance in any matchup. You know what I mean? So it can be really frustrating. And, you know, I mean, I kind of talked about that in the, in the opening. But it can be very frustrating playing against some of these decks, especially because it seems like they can just be un, feel unbeatable a lot of the time. And, and they're not, right? But when you're on the other side and, you know, you don't know what the other person has, you, it's hard for you to tell, like, how close you are to pulling things out. And so it's important to understand, and I'm going to try to go through this as best I can, because the best way to learn how to play against these decks is to play them yourself, and I've done that. Uh, you know, not everyone has the luxury to be able to do that, especially, like, Rogue is constantly changing. There's every, every so often there's another legendary, there's some weird epic that's coming into the list. Like the lists are, the lists are changing, you know, day to day and you may not be able to keep up with all the latest techs in it. And warrior is just an expensive deck to play. War control warrior historically has been an expensive deck to play. If you're playing the, you know, the, the, the straight control version, it's extremely expensive. you got a lot of legendaries and a lot of epics. Even the bomb version still is going to require you to have, like, two Elix and two Wrench Calibers. So, you know, you, don't, you can't necessarily do that all the time. But So I'm going to try to give you an idea as best I can of 
what these decks are trying to do and then how you can kind of use that to your advantage. So Rogue, and, Rogue is kind of the one that you're going to need to know how to play against for the most part. You're going to see a lot of Rogue if you're climbing. And Rogue is a tricky deck, but what it's trying to do is very simple. It has a, a fair amount of damage that it can piece together in a number of different ways. And it wants to throw as much of it as you're at your face as quickly as it possibly can. That is, that is what it's doing. It's effectively an aggro deck. It's not really. It doesn't really behave like an aggro deck a lot of the time, but it is an aggro deck. Right? So they're going to take the first couple turns setting up. Then they're going to get either a raiding party or, or an evil miscreant online. And then they're just going to start overwhelming you with, with damage. And they'll use things like the Waggle Pick and Shadow Step to, to double up on some of those battle cries. But ultimately they want as many of those points of damage to go face as possible because the more points of damage they direct at your face, the more you have to play defensively. And then when you're playing defensively, you will clear those threats and there are always more where those came from, right? So generally, the way that you're going to beat Rogue is not by throwing taunts up and healing, unless you're Warrior. If you're Warrior, go ahead and do that, right? If you're Warrior, you can keep up with the Rogue. And I'm... and that's kind of the natural counter just because you have armor you have uh, minions that develop and also remove at the same time and you have minions that also act as removal spells once you get dr boom genius online so warrior is pretty straightforward you basically just remove everything and don't die for everyone else like you if you're trying to fight defensively you're probably gonna lose now does that mean that you just ignore all their stuff and throw all your stuff in face? Not necessarily. But what you need to understand is that the rogue really, really wants those things to go face. If you're forcing a waggle pick to go into a minion instead of your face, you are ahead of the game. And this became really clear to me when I was playing the mage in particular, and, and some secret hunter too. Between secret hunter and mage... It kind of, I kind of figured out what the, the trick is, and, and you can't always do it. Like, sometimes Rogue and Warrior are just going to beat you. If they get the draw, they're just going to win. There's really nothing you can do sometimes. But the way that you're going to beat a Rogue is generally to present your own threats that they have to answer. Or to make it awkward for them to, to you know, continue to pressure you. So... The mage is a perfect example. Because I was having a conversation on, on Twitter today about the list that I'm playing, which is doing reasonably well against Rogue, and it doesn't win all the time, but it wins sometimes. And they were saying, well, I want to take out Luna's Pocket Galaxy and something else and put in uh, Rotten Apple Bounce. And, and that's, a, that's, that's conceding defeat, in my, in my view. So the four, dam the four healing really doesn't matter when they're throwing like 20 damage to your face at once. And the taunt they just get rid of. They run sap. It, you know, sometimes they'll they'll use some of the, the cheap minions to get some of those things out of the way. Sap is really kind of the backbreaker for the taunt plan anyway. But they don't care about your taunts. Like, even if they have to throw four damage into a taunt, that's generally not the end of the world. And that four healing is gonna get eaten away really quick. Like three or four three or four points of life to a rogue really doesn't make that much of a difference. But what you can do is so in the, when you're playing against as the mage specifically, Mountain Giant is a threat that needs to be answered. And if they don't have sap, then they need to kill it. 
And the reason is that if you, if they leave that up and you conjurers calling and put down two grave horrors, that's game over for them. They can generally remove one big minion in the way, two at the same time is very difficult for them. Like going wide is a problem for Rogue typically. If you can present multiple threats at once quickly and make them answer it, then that's how you win that game. Like this is way back when, back when Flame Waker Tempo Rogue was a Tempo Mage was a thing, or even like Aleneth Tempo Mage. <coughs> if a fireball was going into a minion and not into the opponent's face, that player was losing. And this is the same thing. If a waggle pick is going into your minion instead of your face, you're winning. If you're playing, if they're playing waggle pick and you play mountain giant and they have to sink eight damage into your mountain giant, A, that's eight damage that they may be taking to the face so they have to use the weapon. And also, it's eight damage that is not going into your face. And then that allows, they have to devote resources. Not only is it damage, it's also time, right? Because they're devoting their time, they're devoting a whole turn to removing that minion. Which means that you then to get to get to develop again and present another threat and then put them on the back foot. As soon as that rogue is defending, it is losing. Now, there are exceptions. You do need to be careful about Myra's into Chef Nomi, which is a thing, and you need to be prepared for it, and sometimes there's just nothing you're going to be able to do about it. Um, but this is the way you need to think about it, is that you need to figure out a way to flip the scenario so that you are the one threatening the damage and making the rogue react to you. As long as the rogue is presenting threats and making you react to them, they are winning. As soon as they have to react to your threats, then they are losing, and that is how you deal with it. This is why Secret Hunter works out well, too, because you can just kind of waste a turn of theirs, where they play a Clan thug into a snipe, and you've just burned their turn three, and then you keep developing and keep pressuring, and then they have to start reacting to you. So keep that in mind the next time you're playing against a rogue. Like, how can I flip the board? How can I make this? How can I make myself the aggressor? Sometimes you can't. But if you can, that's how you can generally pull those games out. So as far as Warrior is concerned, this, it does, it, this also gets a little bit tricky. Um, but what you're generally trying to do in order to beat Warrior is you need to like the way that warrior is going to win is it's going to let you extend onto the board and then it's going to beat you with card advantage that's generally how the warrior is going to win it's going to beat you with card advantage and eventually it beats you just with the the tempo that it generates from its removals so you play a minion onto the board they remove it you play a minion onto the board they remove it you play two or three minions onto the board, they brawl, they've used one card to your three, and now they're ahead, right? Now, what's one thing that's important to keep in mind, and this is the way that you used to play against Control Warrior back when Control Warrior was actually a thing and it wasn't just Odd Warrior, <clears throat> is that Super Collider's really not a card right now. And the reason Super Collider's not really a card right now is because so many decks are running multiple weapon removals for dealing with Rogue. So... In that case, right, like, Super Collider was really kind of the thing you would worry about. And before Super Collider, the rule of thumb against a Control Warrior is that you would play two threats at a time. One threat they can deal with with, with, with Shield Slam and Execute. 
three threats they can deal with with a brawl. Two threats is difficult for them, and they need to be high health threats because Warpath is a card too. So you're trying to craft a board in a particular way that makes it so that they have to use one of those brawls. The brawls are a precious commodity because once the second brawl is gone, you can start developing with Reckless Abandon. So they're really going to hold on to the brawl and be careful with it as much as, as much as possible. And if you can set it up so that you can win, uh, you know, a 50-50 and make them brawl two minions or make them brawl three minions that are all kind of equal value and then be able to develop right afterward, then that's great. The thing, the way you lose against Warrior is giving them time to find more resources and giving them time to piece together weird, weird clears. Because, like, if you put a board out, and then they remove it, and then you draw for, like, two turns, and you put out another board, like, they've also drawn into more removal tools. They don't have to use one of those clears, right? You're, what you're trying to do is you're trying to present consistent pressure that is not so much that you get blown out by Brawl, but enough that they feel like they have to react every turn. Because the, the way that... Like, a good control player will recognize which boards they need to react to and which ones they don't. And, you know, the way... Again, this is all about presenting threats that are going to force removals. Now, in the in the case of the warrior, that is... The other way that you can do this is by presenting boards that are not easily cleared with one card. So, death rattles like, uh, like Mechanical Whelp, like Mechano Egg... Uh, like the bombs that are coming out of the bomb warrior, that's how you really get ahead of warrior. Like if you set up kind of no win scenarios, you'll make it, make them choose wrong and they'll choose to use a clear or not use a clear, but you're, you're making it so that even if they clear that you're still getting some, getting somewhere and you're not letting them just armor up. Cause eventually you need that damage to stick too. Like if you're giving them time in between these waves of threats then they can press the hero power button, and then they and they can also play shield blocks and weapons project to, to armor up. And you don't want to let them do that. You want to be able to make that damage permanent, which means that you need to have either a board that's going to leave something behind that will give you initiative and continue to attack, or some other punish for them clearing the board. Uh, the bomb warrior is a great example. I mean, the, that has a whole bunch of death rattles. Even like the one ones. You're presenting constant threats in just like the little mechs that show, that that drop on the board, because every one of those could end up being a, a base for a magnetized mech that get, that effectively gets charged. So, throwing like a Boommaster Flark, Flark's probably not a great example. Like an Explodinator is probably a, a scary thing, because you got one mech, you got three mechs, and one of them can go face, but the other two can get magnetized. And so the warrior is going to want to remove that, but they're spending their removal on zero twos that are also doing two damage to them whenever they do that. Um, this is why Luna's Pocket Galaxy is so good in the in the mage deck. Again, I'm using that kind of as, as an example, but I think that it's illustrative because what that does is it makes your giants free. So when you know sometimes when you're playing as the mage, and the mage is favored against warrior, but it still doesn't. It's not an auto win. So generally what the mage is going to want to do is it's going to want to put out, you know, giant conjurer's calling and then have another board behind it. And and sometimes you're going to go in with Kaggar on that board or you might use you might get the one board to get brawled and then you throw like three more conjurer's callings on that board and fill it up again. So and then, you know, the other brawl comes down and then you lose. This way, 
what this does is it just kind of gives you a lot of starting points for a conjurer calling board. So you can play two to three minions on each board, make them answer it, make them answer it awkwardly, hopefully, and then be able to continue to conjure his calling and continue presenting pressure. And, and like, the number of times that I've just gotten, like, Sea Giant off the top into a conjurer's calling, it's like a Mechathune and something else, have been, you know, not infrequent, and it makes it so that you're just presenting a consistent amount of, of pressure and the one mana to be able to... to take those minions it's not even that that you're just flooding the board because you're not it's that it's making it so that you can play those expensive minions with a conjurer's calling you know and have more of those that you can do it with without having to do things like just take turns off to draw back up to be able to play your mountain giant so you're you're kind of trying to and and the, the other thing that's important to keep in mind you can take your time to set these turns up these don't have to be like turns four five six you can take, I mean, you, you don't want to take all the time in the world, but at the end of the day, they're not killing you, right? Which is why Luna's Pocket Galaxy works in that deck. You can play it on seven and just be fine because they're not killing you. So, but you do want to be able to set those turns up so that they're coming one right after the other because you don't want to give them time to draw and to armor up and to recover. You want to be saying, okay, can you deal with this? Can you deal with this? Can you deal with this? And then... Typically, you can generally find a finisher and you can get over the line. It's not easy, but, you know, think about how you're going to structure those turns, especially in the mid-game, and then you can kind of overwhelm their their removal. And And the other thing that's important with Warrior is it's very easy to just think, to get despondent and just say, well, they're just going to have removal for it. What does it matter? And, and if they have Dr. Boom out, sometimes that's true. If they don't have Dr. Boom out, like, yeah, they've got a lot of removal, but they don't have infinite m- removal. And you can get to a point where you've exhausted their resources in hand and you can put down a threat and they're just not going to have the answer for it. So you want to kind of get to that point. Like the early threats are not wasted. They are using up their removal. If you try to just, you know, play stuff that you know is going to stick, you're never going to get there. You kind of have to just keep poking and keep making them answer it and making them have it until eventually they don't. And then you can start turning the game around. So the last deck that I want to talk about, which is really the most, the other most prevalent one, um, the mage is a little bit hard. I don't want to talk about the mage because the mage is a little bit harder to get. There, there's too much flux right now, and, and the mage is really going to come down to more their their draw than yours a lot of the time. Like if they just get a whole bunch of random crap that's good, then they win. And sometimes if they don't get the draws, they just beat themselves. But the the bomb hunter can also be very frustrating to play against, and a lot of the reason is that what they're doing is they're basically just presenting constant pressure and presenting boards that need to get answered regardless of how innocuous they look, they look because of all the magnetic and, and especially like the venomizers and, and the, and stuff like that. Like it can get pretty, pretty rough to being able to remove everything. And it, it does sometimes come down to like being able to prioritize what you're going to remove. And sometimes it just doesn't matter. Like, but you know, the bombs, as you can remove them, and if you can remove them safely, you probably need to. If you have silences, generally what you want to do, silences or polymorph effects, like if you're playing as a shaman, for example, you generally want to let them magnetize on something on, take the damage, and then get rid of it, because then you're getting a two-for-one. Like, the, the hunter, it doesn't feel like it, but it really does have limited resources, and sometimes the draws can get awkward, too, on their, on their end. But it doesn't feel like it at first, because you're looking at everything as a potential threat. And it is... Like, to be clear, you're not wrong. It is it is a threat. But you also kind of have to pick your battles. Like, some of them 
are going to get magnetized. As long as you're not, you know, being reckless and you have answers for the magnetized minions, then tr- try to get your face damage in and try to just kind of present your own pressure. Like, the hunter is not very good at reacting uh, outside of, like, spider bomb and, and venomizer. And, like, if they get the, ven- the venomizer missile launcher dream, like, that's just GG. There's not a whole lot you can do with it. But, like, at a certain point, like, they're relying on tracking for extra draw because they're only drawing one card a turn. So if you can, if you can stabilize after that initial wave... Like, yes, they still have bombs that they can draw. No pun intended. Like, Blue Master Flark will kind of ruin your day to some extent, and, and the missile launcher is not a lot of fun to deal with either, especially if there's a Venomizer on it. But, you know, they're still drawing one card a turn for the most of the game. So you can kind of outlive that initial wave and then start pressuring and make them react. And the more, again, the more they're reacting, the less... The, the less you have to worry about a lot of that stuff. Though, you know, some of their reactions are actually pretty good in terms of, like, magnetizing a spider bomb and trading into your minion or putting a venomizer on an otherwise innocuous mech and then allowing it to attack. There are there are things that they can do to punish that, but you, you kind of have to just either outlast that initial wave and, and have answers ready for the magnets, or you just need to present your own pressure and make them answer you. Um... I, I haven't had a whole lot of as much success with dealing with bomb hunter to be honest with you it's it's a bit tricky and it really do, does depend on what their draw is but you just need to get you need to be again not despondent and think about the things that they're really going to play that you need to play around you need to play around venomizer you need to play around spider bomb and, and think about that in terms of how you're setting up a board maybe you put a zero two taunt or, you know, like a, like a cheap taunt in front of the minion that you're trying to protect to prevent it from getting blown out by a Venomizer or a spider bomb, Right? But just try to think about, like, they don't have unlimited threats either, but they can feel that way when they're getting magnetized onto each other and sometimes you just don't have an answer for it. And, and you do have to save an answer sometimes for a giant magnetized minion because, you know, once, they, once you get rid of the magnetized minion... Then you've gotten rid of both the minions, but until then, the other one is going to be a threat, and that's going to, it's going to warp your plays, and it's basically going to make you play inefficiently. Like the way that the hunter wins is by making you answer its minions, and then it's by the while it's doing that, it's throwing its its mechs and its, and its hero power at your face, and so you're spending all your time reacting, but your your life total is also dwindling down as you're doing that. So when you're in that scenario, sometimes it's just better to go face and race them. Uh, you know, again, depends on the build, depends on, you know, Secret Hunter is something else entirely, Beast Hunter is something else entirely, but these are just some common guidelines that you can use to try to improve your matchup. And, and you know, look at your replays, right? Like, in general, look at your replays and say, okay, well, I did this thinking they had that, and I didn't account for this, and that's what I need to account for. Like, you need to kind of look at your replays and see after the fact, like, what did your opponent have and when did they play it? And that will kind of help you to understand how you can not fall prey to that kind of thing the next time. All right, so that's it for me for this week. Um, hopefully that's helpful. Hopefully that's kind of helping you reframe your mind. If, you know, when in doubt, look at your replays. Look at your replays, see what your, what your opponent's doing, seeing, see if there was a way that you could have played against it better. Looking at your replays is always going to be useful. And, and if you are unsure... You know, that's what the Discord is for. Post your replay, post a question. I Like, I, I try to look at everything that's in replay reviews, but if you have a specific question and you're posting a replay or and or a screenshot, I'll, I'll make sure to prioritize those. 
So if you do have a question about whether you're doing something right or not, and, and there's other people, not just me, that are in there that can help you with that. You know, please do post there, but post it with a question because sometimes, I mean, and I, I do this too. Sometimes it's just like, here's this cool game. And, and I don't, you know, but I don't know if you're looking for, if you're, if you're really looking for feedback, then let me know in the Discord because that's something that I'm, I'm always happy to help with. It may not be immediately, but because the replays are hard to watch on a phone, but I will definitely make time for those if you're, if you're asking for help with those. And uh, you can find the Discord at discord.offcurve.com. You can also, you can find everything for the show at offcurve.com, um, including the, the show notes for this show and every show. And you can find the Twitch at twitch.offcurve.com. I'm usually streaming Sunday nights, Game of Thrones be damned. And, you know, again, the Discord is at discord.offcurve.com. And uh, you can also follow the, tw- the show's Twitter account at, at offcurve on Twitter for just show announcements and stuff. You can follow me at wickedgood. For everything else, um, I will probably be tweeting out when the new the, the new specials meta report goes out. Uh, you know, I'll, I have a link to last week's in last week's episode. I'll you know I will be tweeting those things out as well and, and announcing those in the Discord as well. So if you want to keep up on that, it's a really great resource. I'm really I'm really proud to be contributing to it. Um, you know, Ecupasta and Gamble and and everyone else who's working on that are really great folks to work with. I'm really happy to be uh, collaborating with them. So look for that probably on Monday. Um, I will very likely be casting House Rivalries on Saturday. Uh, 10 a.m. Eastern, I believe, is when we're starting. So um, come hang out for that. And, um, you know, leave a review on iTunes. I think I got a, a star rating, which is also helpful. It, you know, and, and I appreciate everybody who's, who's taking the time. Um, and, you know, the, the written reviews also really kind of help. They're chicken soup for the soul, basically. And they help people find the show. So, you know, if you do have the time... I super appreciate it. Also, you can support the show directly um, through the link in the show notes. I got, I did have one person over the past week who has uh, decided to contribute, and and I anonymously, and I will respect their anonymity. That's a tough word to say, um, but I really do appreciate it. Like again, I, I'm not doing much more than covering costs with any of the money that I'm making from from the show, but it, you know, it helps me put some more gear into the uh, well, predominantly into the stream because I'm not really buying a whole lot of equipment for the podcast, but. And it also just kind of helps, you know, justify, I'm, I'm definitely not making like whatever my hourly rate would be at the day job, but you know, every little bit helps just to kind of, you know, prove that, that, that people find this, uh, this content valuable, you know, but you know, that's completely optional. Like if you don't, if you're not in a position or if you have to stop contributing or whatever, like no harm, no foul. I, I appreciate everybody who decides to do that. And, and there's no pressure from me at all, but I do appreciate everybody who does. Um, so that's it for me for this week. Um, you know, good luck to you. Uh, try to, you know, stay positive, stay positive and don't die everybody. And, um, and be good to each other. We'll talk soon. Have a good one.